We're in 2 Kings. So open your Bibles, please. 2 Kings chapter 9. We didn't, we didn't get all the way through chapter 9 last time, a couple of weeks ago. So 2 Kings chapter 9. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. 2 Kings chapter 9. Just to set it up a little bit where we find ourselves, there's important information if if you're just joining us and review if you've been going along with us in our study as to where we find ourselves. The nation of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, the north, the northern ten tribes of Israel, the southern two tribes, the tribes of Judah. And since Solomon, they, that's when that division took place, they've been ruled by separate kings. And we're in a time period shortly after the reign in the north in Israel of Ahab. Up to this point, the most wicked king that has ever ruled in the northern tribes, his wife Jezebel, a wicked, wicked woman. Um, there's a reason why I've never dedicated a little baby Jezebel. Um, <laughs> the, you don't run into many Jezebels around, not with the literal name Jezebel, anyway. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and at, the, the, at the time when, when Ahab is reigning in the north, Jehoshaphat was the king in the south, and he was a good king. But there's, there's an issue as, the, as we move forward, and this, like I said, try, hang with me here. Ahab had a couple of sons. When Ahab died, his son Ahaziah took the throne and reigned for two years. When Ahaziah died, he did not have a son, so it went to the next oldest son of Ahab, and his name was Jehoram. He is reigning up until where we are in chapter 9. We covered this last week. We've got to go back a little bit, but hang with me. So, so Ahaziah dies. His brother Jehoram, Jehoram takes over and is reigning in the northern tribes. Southern tribes in Judah, when Jehoshaphat died, his son Jehoram took over. Different Jehoram than, than up north, down south, Jehoram. He reigns for eight years. When he dies... His son, Ahaziah, takes over. Different Ahaziah that takes over in the south. So, so we have up in the north, we have Ahab, then Ahaziah, then Jehoram. Down in the south, we have Jehoshaphat, then Jehoram, then Ahaziah. Okay, now there's a test afterwards, so make sure you're following along with this. The, the reason I say that this is, this is an important little backdrop information, because if you'll remember, if you've been going through the study with us, back in 1 Kings chapter 21, 1 Kings 21, in Naboth's vineyard, Elijah meets up with Ahab, and the, just again, real quickly, this is towards the tail end, after all of the wickedness, after all of the idolatry, after everything that has gone on already, Ahab, Jezebel, have Naboth killed so that they can have his vineyard. That's where we find ourselves, and Elijah meets with Ahab here, and in verse 17 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down, meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria, behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You, spell, you shall speak to him, saying, thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? 
And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. When when they met each other, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, He's speaking, the Lord speaking through Elijah, and you will utterly be swept away and will cut off every, from Ahab every male, both bond and free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you've provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel to sin. Of Jezebel also said the Lord, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and the one who dies in the field, the birds of, the hev- of heaven will eat. We go to that point because we're going to look at the fulfillment of that tonight. The Lord pro- saying through Elijah that this is the judgment that is coming on the house of, of Ahab. Last time we looked at the fact that, again, also the Lord told Elijah to anoint a man named Jehu who will take care, who will do this. And we saw that last time we were together. So let's pick up now as we're looking, we're in chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9. And where I, I, I want to pick up, I'll give you the kind of the running up to this. Jehu is riding in, remember now, at Jehoram is the king. Ahab has already died. Jehoram, one of his sons, is king. He's right, Jehu is riding towards the town where Jehoram is. Jehoram sees, the watchman sees him coming. He says, go send and see if, there's, if he's coming in peace. The watchman goes, are you coming in peace? He's Jehu said, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. So he falls in behind him with the army that's coming. They send another messenger out and says the same thing. Jehu says the same thing. What do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. So they keep coming. Well, finally now, Jehoram goes out to meet him. Also with Jehoram at the time is Ahaziah. Oh, by the way, one little thing I forgot to throw in earlier when we're doing this whole little thing. Jehoram, the southern Jehoram, married Ahab's daughter from the north. And they, they were the ones who had this son, Ahaziah. So there's, that, that's been mixed in there together. So Ahaziah now meeting with his uncle. I told you there's going to be a test afterwards. He goes out with them. They're going to go meet Jehu. And when they come up to Jehu, the two kings, that's where we pick it up right now. In verse 21, then, then Joram said, get ready, and they made his chariot ready. Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and found him in the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Coincidence? I think not. Verse 22, when Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. So Joram reigned, he turned his horse around and fled and said to Ahaziah, there is treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow at his full strength and shot Joram between his arms and the arrow went through to his heart and sank and he sank in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his officer, take him up and cast him into the property of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For I remember when, I, when you and I were riding together after Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this oracle against him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this property, says the Lord. 
Now then take him and cast him into the property according to the word of the Lord. So Jehu kills Jehoram, the son of Ahab. Now he turns when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, again, the nephew of Jehoram, the king of the south, he saw this, he fled away to his garden house, and Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him too in the chariot. So they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is in Iblium, but he fled to Megiddo and died there. Then his servants carried him in his chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his grave with his fathers in the city of David. So now both kings are dead the northern king and the southern king. Jehu, we're gonna see, is, is the one that the Lord has anointed to be the king now in the north. But he's got some other work to do. Verse 29, now in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah became king over Judah. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. So Jehu now comes, after he's done all of this, he's, he's killed the two kings, he comes and he finds Jezebel. She has heard of it. It says that she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. So she gets all dolled up in her queenly garb. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? Now if you'll remember, back in 1 Kings 16, Zimri was a king that killed the previous king, and then killed all of his brothers off so that he could reign. But he only reigned for seven days before he was killed. And that is what Jezebel is referring to, her smug remark about Zimri, meaning you just killed your, your master, maybe in a last-ditch effort that he stops what he's going to do, but she knows her time's numbered. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? Then he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three officials looked down at him. And he said to her, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall of the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. When he came in, he ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. They went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than, the, than her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands. Therefore, they returned and told him and said, this is, and, and he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, in the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the earth in the property of Jezreel, so they cannot say, this is Jezebel." Wow. So uh, he comes, he comes into town. Jezebel, he, know, he needs to deal with. He says to the, the, is anybody up there? A couple of three, are you with me? They throw her down. Obviously quite a long drop. She, she lands, yuck, on the ground. He, just to make sure, runs over her a few times with his horse. And then it's been a long day. I mean, he's killed a lot of people and stuff's going on. He's hungry. He's got to go replace some calories. So he goes inside. And so they're eating and he finally says, you know what? She is a king's daughter. Go bury her. When they go outside, all they can find is the palms of her hands, her feet, and her skull. Because the dogs the, had, had eaten her just like God had said. Now, I know that's that's very graphic, very, very violent way to deal with this. But guys, there's application in this for us. 
Remember what was said back in verse 22. Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. What peace? What peace, he said, what, what peace can there possibly be if there's all of this wickedness? With this sin in the land, with these things that are allowed to go on, how can there be peace? And the same is true with everyone. As long as, as long as there's sin, as long as there's wickedness, we cannot have peace. We've talked of this before. First of all, the, the peace that must take place is peace with God. Because we can't have peace anywhere else. We can't have the peace of God until we have peace with God. And that sin in our life, wickedness in the life of anyone must be dealt with. But guys, it's got to be dealt with violently. It's got to be dealt with completely, absolutely. And then as believers, if there is an area in our life, if we find that we are having that struggle, that, that we're, where things just aren't, don't seem right, where our relationship is just not what it used to be, where I just don't feel there's something not right, that peace isn't there. Guys, the same thing is true. Those things in our lives, the sin that can separate us from, from that, that relationship that God desires to have with us. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter, chapter 1. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice he's talking about fellowship. The fellowship with the Lord, the fellowship with one another. And if there's an area in our lives that needs to be dealt with, Paul tells us in Romans and Colossians that the way we deal with that is violently. It has to be put to death. He says put to death the deeds of the flesh those areas in our lives. And praise God, he says, in ver as John continues, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anyone, if you're dealing with, if, you're, if, if there's an uneasiness in you, if there's, if there's a lack of peace, the Prince of Peace wants to restore that in you. It's a matter of confessing your sin, and we've talked of this before. Confessing means to say the same thing as. To say the same thing as to, to God as to what is sin. Not, not our definition of sin, not the world's definition of sin, but what God defines as sin. And then what sin is. It is, it is an affront to a holy and righteous God. It is, it is prideful. It is, it, is, it is an affront to him. And then what we need to do about it. We need to repent. To repent means to turn from. Confessing our sin, agreeing with God, repenting, turning from our sin and turning to him. When we do that, as David did, when we repent, when we repent from our heart, immediately that is washed away and we are restored to that fellowship, to that peace. We can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Well, like I said, it's... It's pretty bloody, it's pretty nasty, but guess what? We're not done. Chapter 10. 
Jehu's just getting warmed up. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, descendants, male descendants, and Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, the elders and the guardians of the children of Ahab. So he's, he's, he's outside of Samaria. He sends letters to the rulers within Samaria who are watching over Ahab's sons and grandsons and raising them up. He sends letters to them. Verse 2, now when this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, as well as the chariots and horses and the fortified city and weapons, select the best and finest of your master's sons and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. So what he's saying is, you got them all there. Pick the best. Pick the strongest. You got everything you need. You got, you got, make your king, but you got chariots, you got walled cities, you got everything. Pick the best one and have them come fight me. And his, his ploy, obviously, is that word has gotten around. He's already knocked off the kings. He's already, he's already taken care of Jezebel. Word gets there and notice it works. Verse four, but they feared greatly. And they said, behold, the two kings did not stand before him. How can we stand? And the one who was over the household and he who was over the city and the elders and the guardians of the children sent word to Jehu saying, we are your servants. All that you say to us, we will do. We will not make any man king. Do what is good in your sight. So they said, we, we're not gonna fight you. We surrender to you. You're in charge. We're gonna follow you. You do whatever you wanna do. You let us know. Then Jehu wrote a letter a second time saying, if you are on my side, and you will listen to my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow about this time. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. When the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him, saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, put them into two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So he says, all right, if you're with me, those 70 sons and grandsons, I want you to kill them, cut their heads off, and bring their heads to me. They did that. They brought them there. He makes two piles of the heads of the sons on the outside of the city. Now in the morning, he went out and stood and said to all the people, you are innocent, behold, I conspired against my master and killed him. He says, I am the one who killed Jehoram. That was me. You guys are innocent of that blood. That was me, I did that. But notice what he says next. But who killed all of these? That wasn't me, I didn't do that. All of the rest of these that are here, I didn't do that. You could see how he's working this whole thing. Getting everybody on that. now. Verse 10, he says, Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord, Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke through his servant Elijah. He's saying this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that came against Ahab, that not one of his male descendants would survive, that they would all be killed. Here's the fulfillment of that. We see so far Jehu, this man who, again, God selected. He told Elijah, this is the guy. Anoint him. 
he passed that baton to Elisha, and we've seen that we talked about that. Elisha then anoints Jehu to be king while there is still a king, but he understands the commission that's been given to him to wipe out the name of Ahab. He goes out and he obediently does this. And we're going to see when we get to the end of this this chapter that that God commends him for doing that. But we're going to also see now as we move through this some areas where Jehu gets really off the rails. And I I point that out because there's a few of these that, that we need to understand. Again, as believers, those who follow the Lord, those who even are given a commission, those who are given a task that we are to follow the Lord, we have to be careful that we don't get off track. Notice the first thing that happens here, verse 11. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his acquaintances and his priests until he left him without a survivor. Most commentators agree, and, we, and, and even the prophet Hosea agrees later. Chapter 1, verse 6 talks about the, 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 the punishment coming against the house of Jehu because of the blood that he shed. Not Ahab's blood in his family, that he was supposed to do. But here, he took it way too far. Not just the family, acquaintances, friends, anybody associated with Ahab. God didn't tell him to do that. And in that we see that as we move forward and we're following the Lord and we're doing what it is that he calls us to do, we have to be careful that we don't get ahead of God. That we don't get off of his agenda. Several times throughout the Bible, it talks about not veering to the right or to the left. Not even taking a step to the right or to the left. You know, the problem with if you're walking a straight line and you veer just a little bit to the right or to the left, you walk in that direction much further and you get further and further away from the line. That's, that, that's something that's, that's plagued me forever in golf. <laughs> you know, you, you hit it just square and the ball goes exactly where you want it. You move your, if you're off a square just by that much, guess how far the ball is off the fairway, 200 yards or 300 yards down the way. It's a long ways. <laughs> Not a little bit to the right or to the left. Guys, in this first thing, we need to do only what God tells us to do. The problem is when we start doing more, we're st- we can easily get into our flesh. We can easily, I mean, p- the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'm starting to think Jehu's taken a lot of pleasure in what he's doing. That he's, that he's feeding on this, that this is just, yeah. And it's, he's gotten off course. See, also then it says, Then he arose and departed and went to Samaria. On the way, while he was at beth of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, the one who he killed as well. But the king of Judah, relatives and friends of his. And he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are relatives of Ahaziah, and we have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. So they're on their way up to go see Jezebel and to go see everything. Obviously, their Wi-Fi wasn't working because they hadn't hadn't gotten the update yet that they're all dead. So they're on their way up there, and he says, Who are you? They explains that, and he says, Take them alive. So they took them alive, but killed them at the pit of Bethaked, 42 men 
and left none of them. Again, he's gone, this is gone, he's, he's saying, I'm making sure that there is no chance that there's anybody that could come back to the throne again, getting off what God had told him to do. Verse 15, now when he had departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming up to meet him. Now, if you really want to sound Hebrew, when you're, if you're reading this later to your kids or something, say Rechab, you know, you just got to... Sounds Jewish there. But anyway, he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. And he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot. Now this Jehonadab, we don't know a whole lot more about him other than he's mentioned in Jeremiah 35 as a very godly man from a very godly family. One that even despite what was going on in the rest of the world, and as Jeremiah even outlines, everyone else, they stayed faithful to their commitment to the Lord and what they, they said they would do. Godly, a godly family, godly legacy. But he meets, he meets Jehu along the way. Jehu says, hey, are we good? And no doubt, Jehonadab has now heard of what's going on, the purging that's gone on, and he says, I'm all for that. Because again, fearing the Lord, loving the Lord, following the Lord, this idolatry that's been going on, Ahab and Jezebel and all of these things, this Baal worship, eradicating that, obviously, I'm all for that. So Jehu says to him, verse 16, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he made him ride in his chariot. Problem number two. Look at what he said. See my zeal for the Lord. Come check me out. Look how much I love God. Look at all the things I'm doing for God. Check out my zeal, the pride that has come into play. The look at me that's come into play. Jesus had a lot to say about this, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by them. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't, when you're doing things, we're supposed to, as Christians, be involved in acts of charity and to give and be involved in helping others. But the problem comes in when we do it for reasons to be seen by other people, to get praised by others. Jesus said, if that's what you're doing, enjoy the response from that because that's all you're going to get. Take out, take out your phone and take a selfie with them and look at it often because that's your only reward. By the way, that reward is just as short-lived and hypocritical as the act. <laughs> but, but, Jesus said, when you give, when you're involved in charity, when you help someone, that's an act of worship. Do you know that? That is an act of worshiping God. It pleases him. 
between you and him, that there's, there's, a, there's, a great, there's a great joy in his heart when that takes place. And Jesus said, he will reward you. He goes on and says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, the heart of the person praying. The, the, the motivation, the desire, what they're looking for in the prayer. Is it truly a heart before the Lord, praying before the Lord? Or is it, again, he calls it out, hypocrites, hypocritical, not to be heard by God. Or at least primarily not to be heard by God, but to be heard by others. Ever been in a prayer meeting when somebody starts praying and the prayer turns into a sermon? All of a sudden, they're talking at everybody else through the prayer, making it sound spiritual like they're talking to God, but start poking at others. Not trying, trying to impress those. Again, God, Jesus is saying, enjoy that reward. When people say, man, that was beautiful. Wow, that was awesome. Enjoy that. That's your, there's your, that's your reward. Now, not against corporate prayer. Guys, corporate prayer is beautiful. It's amazing. If you have not been to one of our prayer nights, our encounter nights, please put the first Sunday night on your calendar and come. It's a beautiful thing when we gather together and pray together. But here's just the, here, to me, here's just the rule of thumb. You want to put this down to make sure that you're, you're on it? Do you pray corporately the same way you pray at home when you're alone? I've been in prayer meetings before when people start, oh, Jesus. You pray like that at home when you're alone? I'd like to see that. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus goes on. Verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so they may be noticed by men when they are fasting, truly I say to you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your Father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. Again, fasting. It's not if you fast, it's when you fast. And when you fast, don't do it in such a way that other people know. There's... There, there's there's a reasons to fast. There's re guys, there's things that, there's wrong reasons to fast. Don't fast to gain God's approval. It does not impress him. Don't fast because you want to feel better about yourself. You won't. Don't fast to fulfill some religious obligation. Guys, we fast because we want to seek the Lord about something. We want to, we want to, be obedient because he tells us to do that, but we want to hear from him in a special way. And so we set aside eating and we devote our time to prayer and for that. But he says, when you do that, don't let other people know you're doing it. Because when you do that, it's because you want people to know how holy you are. And that's what they would do. They would make themselves look all, all emaciated. Oh, I'm so hungry. You know. He even says, go out of your way 
to make so people don't know. I mean, leave candy wrappers around. Leave, I mean, <laughs> leave a half-eaten sandwich on your desk or whatever, you know? Again, so your bottom line, it's not about look at me. All of it is about look at the Lord. The focus is on him. And Jesus said, guys, God doesn't miss any of that. And the rewards, believe me, are far greater. (laughs) Far greater than any temporary thing that we can give each other as far as, man, that was awesome, that was great, you know, whatever. It's okay to desire that reward too, by the way. Paul did and talked about it, but another topic, another time. Come see, back here we are, Second Kings. Come, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he made him ride in the chariot. When he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria and he, until he destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Verse 18, then Jehu gathered all the people and said, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all the worshipers, and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it in cunning so that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. So he shows up to town. He says, man, you thought Ahab worshipped Baal? You ain't seen nothing yet. Get everybody together, all the worshipers of Baal from all over the country. Bring them all here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna throw a Baal party like there's never been done before. But he's doing this to get them all here. We see in Jehu said, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal, and they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. He said, if you're a worshiper of Baal and you don't come, I'll have you killed. That's how important this is. So they all came. And when they went into the house of Baal, the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the garments for the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out garments for them. Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. And he said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that there is none of you who are the servants of the Lord, but only worshipers of Baal. Make sure nobody in here is a worshiper of Yahweh. Get them out. All I want in here is worshipers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed for himself 80 men outside, and he said, The one who permits any of the men whom I bring into your hands to escape shall give his life in exchange. So he has the soldiers lined up outside. He said, when I give the word, I want them all killed. If one of them gets by you, whoever he gets by, your life for his. Then it came about as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard of the royal officers, go in and kill them, let none of them come out. They killed them with the edge of the sword and the guard of the royal officers threw them out and went to the inner room of the house of Baal. They brought out the sacred pillars of the house of Baal and burned them. They also broke down the sacred pillars of Baal and broke down the house of Baal and made it into a latrine to this day. Killed, wiped out all of the worshipers of Baal. Again, graphic, violent, but dealing with idolatry, dealing with, with, with sin violently and completely, wipes them out tears down the altars, tears down the building, turns it into a public toilet. 
Thus Jehu, verse 28, eradicated Baal out of Israel. Verse 29, however, that's a long version of but. Remember, we talk about that a lot. However, as for the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart, even the golden calves that were at Bethel and were at Dan. Verse 30, the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in executing, in executing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Because you did what I commanded you to do with regards to the house of Ahab, your reward will be your descendants for four generations. A hundred years it will be that they will reign after him. Verse 31, but... Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord. We see in verse 29 the sin of Jeroboam. Now, if you weren't with us before, we've referred to that a few times. The sin of Jeroboam was not that he worshipped Baal. The sin of Jeroboam was that he set up golden calves and said, this is how we worship Yahweh in the north. He did that because the only true way written in Scripture, God's way to worship Yahweh, was in Jerusalem. Problem with that is Jerusalem's in the south. Jeroboam said if the people go to Jerusalem to worship in the south, they're probably going to want to stay. They're going to want to, and the king Rehoboam there at the time, so he said, I'm going to keep them from going there, protect my own interests, and say, okay, we're going to change the way. We're still worshiping God. We're still worshiping Yahweh. We're just going to do it my way. And that's a problem. Because we don't get to pick our way. So that, that, that's the sin that we see. That's when he speaks of the sins of Jeroboam. He left the golden calves. It says that in the two places where they had set them up, in Bethel and in Dan. There, that, that that was kept on going. And again, no doubt, for the same reasons with Jehu. So here we see again now this where we'll just tie this up in, in verse verse 11, or chapter 11 or chapter 10 but Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord he was not careful he did some things right yes but he wasn't careful to make sure he was doing everything the way that it pleases the Lord and again to go back to tie this up for us guys the walk that we walk as Christians as believers we need to make sure that we are careful that every step is in line. That we don't veer to the right or to the left. That we don't do more than God commands us to. That we don't do things to be seen by men, to be seen by one another. We do things only for God's glory. And that we don't do less than what God commands. That we don't do differently than God commands. He wasn't careful. We're called to be careful, guys, every step. He, did not, he was not careful to walk in the, the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. It's a heart issue. Guys, it's always a heart issue. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off portions from Israel. We're gonna, this is the beginning of the decline of the northern tribes of Israel that will result in the Assyrians coming in and taking them captive. Starts to come away now, even under Jehu's rule. Haziel defeated them throughout the territory of Israel from Jordan eastward, the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassehites from Eror, 
which is by the valley of Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Jehu slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria and Jehoaz, his son, became king in his place. Now the time which Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. Lengthy reign, again, we looked at it tonight, the, the good and the bad. Chapter 11, we're going to switch now back to the south. We're going to look back to the, the southern, um, southern tribes. We saw again Ahaziah killed when Jehoram was, was, uh, was killed. We're going to go back to that time now, verse, 11, verse 1 of chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal offspring. Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, married the son of Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and their son, Ahaziah, was the king in the south. You knew that already, though, right? From earlier. Just reviewing. When she finds out that he's been killed, she also, no doubt, knows that the other brothers have been killed, the other sons of Jehoram that we saw that were going up to visit, remember, that, that were killed? Look at what she does. She rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. Let me, let me rephrase that for you. She killed her grandkids. Nice grandma. She killed her grandkids so that she could take the throne. She puts this all together and realizes that there's only a couple of descendants left. And if I wipe them out, I'm queen mother and I can rule. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom so that they hid from Athaliah and he was not put to death. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Guys, these three verses... There's something so important in these three verses. I mentioned to you that her goal is to wipe out the kingly line. That kingly line is the line of David. If she is successful in wiping out the line of David, that means all of the messianic prophecies that, are said, that the Lord said would come through the line of David are now wiped out. So, we're down to one child left, and he's one year old. Now, <laughs> we're going to see as, as this moves through, again, just in case you're on the edge of your seat, he lives and he becomes king. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> I don't wanna, I'm, spoiler alert. But, but I, I say that to set this up, guys, because this is, this is so important. It doesn't matter how, how, how bad it looks or how, how, where it gets to in this. God's word always prevails. His word never fails. I love that there's certain things that, that you, you can Google, you do research, you look at these different things. 
almost every archaeological discovery anymore over in Israel and the Middle East area proves the Bible is true. It's awesome. All of these things that even the, when you go on a tour trip to Israel, one of the places that we stop on our first day is Caesarea Maritima. And up until 1961, one of the, the things that the Bible, the people that argued against the Bible was says there's no extra biblical proof that Pontius Pilate ever existed. And if he's such a this big name guy, you'd think that he would show up somewhere outside of the Bible. Guess what? In 1961, they're doing some excavation, and in this arena that had been built, they, they turned this one stone over, Pontius Pilate, da-da-da-da, the stones dated back to the time of Jesus. The, one of the other big things, King David, no extra-biblical references of King David. Well, guess what? They're finding them all over the place now. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's me. Guys, just wait. If you think that there's, that there's anything that's it, just wait. Just wait. God's word is proven all the time, every time. And if it doesn't seem fair, it's not. It's not. I, I've done this before, but, if, so if you've, but, but play, play along with me. But the opposite. Okay, you have ever done that where you, you've given a word and you've come up with the, the opposite word of that? So let's play that together again real quick here. So hot. Good. Black. Satan. No. No. And we'd see that. The opposite of God would be, or Satan would be God or Jesus. That's not true. The opposite of Satan might be Gabriel, Michael, but it isn't God. It isn't Jesus. Because Satan's a created being. God is eternal. He's the creator. He has no equal. He has no opposite. He ha he's completely other. And guys, he doesn't fight fair. I like that. That's a great thing. Don't ever, don't ever want fair. I don't want fair. My kids say all the time, ah, that's not fair. I say, I tell them, you don't want fair. Just, we don't want fair. Guys, it's not fair because it's all done already. The, the end of the book's been written. We win. <laughs> and the, the enemy might think, hey, I'm, I, I got this. Can you imagine what Satan was thinking? I got one left. And he's a, he's a year old. I got this. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to hide him away. And guess where he hides him? I love this. In the house of the Lord. He just puts him away. He says, where's one place that Athaliah will never go? <laughs> Let's just tuck him away right there. Some, of the, some, some people, you know, it's some of the safest things that you could do. You want, you know, the people that, you know, never read their Bible. You know, the safest place for your money. Stick it in their Bible. But anyway, we're, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get done with chapter 11, so buckle up. Okay, so, like I said, I already ruined the end of the story, so let's read it together. Now the seventh year of Jehoiada, she sent, uh, now in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds of the Kerites and, the, uh, and of the guard and brought them to him in the house of the Lord. 
Then he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Now this, this guy Jehoiada is, is um, Ahaziah's husband. So um, Ahaziah steals the baby away. This is her husband. He's a priest. And so he, he takes, you know, he's getting this guard together and he commanded them saying, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you who will come in on the Sabbath and keep watch over the king's house. One third also shall be at the gate. One third at the gate behind the guards shall keep watch over the house for defense. Two parts of you, even all who go out on the Sabbath, shall keep watch over the house of the Lord for the king. Then you shall surround the king, each with his weapon in his hand. And moreover, comes within the rank, or whoever comes within the ranks shall be put to death. And be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So the captains of hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each one of them took his men and were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. The priest gave to the captain of hundreds spears and shields that had been King David's, with, which were in the house of the Lord. The guards stood each with his weapon in his hand from the right side of the house to the left side of the house by the altar and by the house around the king. Then he brought the king's son out and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. So he's, this, this whole thing is all set up now. He, he, he now spreads the word. For six years, while he's from one year old till seven years old, there's only two people that know that, this, that this, the, the line of David is still going. So can you imagine all of the people that understand the gravity of what's taking place? King, the line of David has been severed. What, what hope do we have? Imagine the, the, those that were godly, following the Lord, thinking that it's, all, that it's all done. But again, just wait. And here now it's being spread out. And now when they see what's going on, they rejoice, they clap their hands, long live the king. Can you imagine that, what the, the noise and the celebration that's going on there? They realize that God is faithful. His word has been kept. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people in the house of the Lord. She's hearing, long live the king. I haven't heard that in six years. What's going on? She looked and behold, and the king was standing by the pillar according to the custom with the captains and the trumpeters beside the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, treason, treason. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of hundreds who were appointed over the army and said to them, bring her out between the ranks and whoever follows her out put to death with the sword. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and when she arrived at the horse's entrance of the king's house, she was put to death there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people also between the king and, and all the people. And all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down, his altars, his images. They broke into pieces thoroughly and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. He took the captains of hundreds and the captains of the Karaites and the guards and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet, 
for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house. Joash was seven years old when he became king. Let's get into chapter 12 and some rebuilding and some things that start taking place. So it's a tough couple of chapters, I know. There's a lot of, a lot of gruesome, gory details. But again, as a reminder, guys, we need to deal with sin that violently in our lives. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Restore the peace. David, when he, when he wrote, he said, Lord, in this process, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I want to encourage anybody here tonight that has, has lost that joy just a little bit, you can have that restored right now. Right now. It's a matter of in your heart. The Lord's revealed it to you. You know what it is. You know, the, the, you know you, and it's just, right now, you and the Lord, you deal with it right here, right now, whatever it is in your heart. If you want to pray about it with, with me or one of the pastors or somebody after, come on up, we'll be glad to pray with you. But you can deal with this right now, right in your heart, deal with it. You can have the joy restored. And for the rest of us, this challenge that we walk in the manner worthy of this calling that we have, every step, not one to the right or one to the left. And we can praise God that his word is true and he is faithful, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can know that our sins are forgiven. We can know that we have peace with you, that we have the peace of God in us. Lord, it's because of your completed work on the cross for us. Your, your sacrifice once for all. And Lord, if there's anyone here, if that is you, if, you're, if there's something the Lord's laid on your heart to deal with right now, it's a matter again of repenting. You turn from that sin and you turn back to the Lord. Confess your sin, whatever it is. And if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you realize that now, you wanna, you wanna come for the first time again. It's a matter of confessing in your heart right now. I just say, God, I am, I'm a sinner. I know, I know that my life's not pleasing to you. I know that I can't do anything to fix it other than to come to you right now. So Jesus, I ask that you take my sin away, that you come into my heart right now, that you wash my sin away, that you give me eternal life. I want to follow you. I want to walk in your ways from this moment on. And Jesus, that's our, our desire, every one of us. Each step, Lord, that we follow you, not veering one way to the right or to the left. Lord, we thank you. We praise you because you are faithful. You are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you are seated on the throne. We rejoice in the fact, Lord, that, that you are unlike any other. You have no equal. You have no opposite. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.